Welcome to today's episode, which will likely deal with some dark topics and sometimes sweary words, so listener discretion is always advised. For ad-free and bonus episodes, click in the link in the show notes for exclusive content. You can support the show at buymeacoffee.com or by giving me a rate, writing a review, or subscribing to future episodes. And with all my marketing blah 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 out of the way, on with the show. Hello, and welcome to A Million Other Choices. I am your host, Kim. I have another ugly one for you today, a crime that really shocked and sickened our country. This is the murder of Holly Jones. Cutie Patootie Holly Jones was born September 14, 1982, the youngest of four siblings to her parents, Maria Jones and George Stonehouse. Holly and her family, including her sisters, Shauna, Natasha, and brother James, lived in Toronto in a family-friendly neighborhood known as Junction Triangle, which is named because it creates a triangle surrounded on three sides by CP rail lines. The neighborhood is considered a bit of a gem by artists, young professionals, and first-time home buyers close to transit. Holly was described as lively, gentle, and energetic with a lot of imagination. She did very well in school, both academically and socially. She was a bit of an athlete already by the age of 10, playing basketball and running cross-country. On the afternoon of May 12, 2003, which was a Monday, Holly had gone after school to a friend's place close to her home, but she hadn't arrived home when she was expected. Her friend didn't live very far away, so she was expected to have walked the short distance between the houses. After calling her friend's house to be told that she'd left already and her not being home yet, panic set in and Maria and George called 911 to report her missing. Within hours, a massive scale search was initiated for her, including an amber alert. The next day, after a sleepless night, Maria made a heartbreaking plea on TV, hoping Holly would see it and find her way home. She said, Holly, honey, our hearts are out for you. Baby, if you can hear me, you know how much we love you. I feel you inside me and I'm trying to find you. I'm doing everything. Everybody is working very hard. And whoever has her, I beg you, I beg you with all my heart that you keep her and bring her home to her mother and father. You keep her safe. I beg you, she hasn't ever hurt anyone in her life. She is a happy girl. I beg you not to hurt her. Bring her home to us. Stranger abductions of children are actually pretty rare, despite what the news and us podcasters would have you believe. Normally, the suspect is someone the child knows, and even more normally, it's usually a family member. But Holly's family was ruled out very early, like pretty much immediately, so everyone in the city pretty much became a suspect. Natasha Robinson, who lived in Junction, told reporters a number of years later, I remember the panic that everyone around us felt at the time and the fear. I had a child who was the same age as Holly. We were all really scared. Constable Stephen Ryan was the lead investigator on Holly's missing person case, and after the case was concluded... He was willing to talk quite a bit about the case to different media outlets, so a lot of Holly's story is told by him directly. He says, quote, The questions we were asking here were somewhat general but specific as well. 
What I mean by that, first off, we had a missing girl, and we knew that her family wasn't responsible for abducting her, and everyone was a suspect. So we asked questions like, did you see Holly Jones? Do you know Holly Jones? What do you think happened to Holly Jones? Do you know somebody who might be capable of this? And who would that be? That may be a shot in the dark, but it's a start. When you have a case where you have nothing, somebody just vanishes, you need to start with something. This was one of those cases. Child abductions are so rare. So when we confirmed that this was an actual stranger-on-stranger abduction, it shocked the investigators. Because there was no suspect, everybody was a suspect. You and I were suspects. I found people would be kind of looking at each other asking, who is the monster? Because we had no idea who it was. The next day, police would get a break in the case. But it wasn't the kind of break that they really wanted. A couple out walking their dog early in the morning on Wards Island, which is about eight kilometers from Junction Triangle, found two black duffel bags washed up on the shores of Lake Ontario. Inside the bags were the partial remains of a young girl. And I say partial because not all of her were in the two bags. She had been dismembered. There was also in one of the bags a five-pound weight from a set of dumbbells. And the poor guy that found the remains was interrogated for two hours by investigators, but clearly had nothing to do with it. He and his wife were completely traumatized by their discovery. The remains were identified as Holly's. She had been sexually assaulted before being strangled to death by a ligature. She had been dismembered and dumped in the water in the hopes that the weight in the bag would have kept it from being discovered. The autopsy was able to determine that Holly had been killed in less than an hour from the time that she was kidnapped. Police had the job of not only telling Holly's family of the discovery that Holly was no longer alive and had been the victim of a vicious and horrifying murder, but also to tell the public on the news that body parts of a young girl had washed up across from the Toronto Harbor and there was a child killer on the loose. Releasing the statement, the search for Holly Jones is now a search for her killer. Detective Ryan said that the entire city was on lockdown. Kids were telling their parents that cars were looking at them suspiciously, so parents became guardians, calling in these attempted abductions, and everyone in the city became a detective. Everybody had somebody in mind who they thought could have done this, and that is what we were dealing with, which is a good thing. I think he said that rather sarcastically. They actually received about 1,600 tips from the public. The Toronto police had their work cut out for them with no leads and no actual suspects. According to Ryan, it was utter heartbreak. You look at a beautiful, happy child Holly was, and you know that her life came to such a tragic end. It is just heartbreaking. Not just the investigators, but the family, the community, everybody was affected by this murder. Police divers continued to scour the waterfront for any further evidence and released to the media pictures of the two bags and the dumbbells. They also searched for clothing that Holly was last seen wearing and say that they are one phone call away from catching the killer or killers. But they kind of weren't clo that close at all. I think they were just trying to keep the public panicked down. Two men were identified as being on a ferry bound for Toronto Island near where the bags were found, but they were both later cleared of any wrongdoing. Staff Inspector Gary Ellis told the media three days after Holly's remains were discovered that this killer, their plan had gone terribly awry. They thought they had committed the perfect crime. They thought they had done a textbook case, and what they've done is provide us with a substantial amount of evidence. 
And that mountain of evidence wasn't actually so much a mountain, but just a couple of things, but very important things it would turn out. What they did have was a sample of DNA of some blood that did not belong to Holly under her fingernails, and in one of the bags had been uh, that five-pound weight from the barbell set. But the DNA didn't match anyone in the system already, so they were kind of back to square one. So they came up with a plan to request DNA samples from all males living within a six-block radius of Holly's house with the profile information that, that in the majority of these kinds of cases, the perpetrator lives close by. We saw this to be true in many of the child abduction and murder cases that I've covered. Kimmy Thompson, Shannon Morissette, uh, Jamie Bolin, just to name a few. So it was a good assumption to go on. Public panic was still at an all-time high. On June 2nd, a man was seen leading a young boy out of a grocery store in the same neighborhood as Holly. The man ran off when his mom screamed, but still. On June 9th, a man tried to grab an eight-year-old girl's wrist when she was walking along the street with her mom. Neighborhood Watch went on high alert, and Holly's school beefed up their security in response to fears of a child-abducting monster in their midst. The school actually brought in social workers to help the students deal with their increasing anxiety about the abductions and the presence of the police. In reaction to Holly's murder, Toronto police were given an extra $700,000 to monitor sex offenders by the security minister, Bob Runciman. Now, legally, they couldn't force anyone to take a DNA sample, which would have just been a quick swab inside the cheek to eliminate you. And according to Detective Ryan, civil liberties were concerned about what was going on. But the bottom line is we had a little girl who was brutally murdered and sexually assaulted. We had DNA. We had a proverbial needle in a haystack. We just needed to get all that hay. And it was done one by one, asking men to give a sample of DNA. And to be honest, it wasn't really that they expected someone to give a sample and then poof, the case would be solved, but they were actually more interested in those men that refused to give a sample. And also, it was a way to get a feel for those that refused. So the investigative team told the officers that were assigned to go and ask for samples to be very observant as possible about things. Ryan told them, look beyond the person because we knew on Holly's remains were green carpet fibers, which suggests there may be a green carpet in the crime scene. Weights were used to weigh some of her body parts down in the lake, which it never worked. So perhaps look for someone in good shape. And your sense of smell. We knew that because of the manner in which her body was so brutally dismembered that it would have been a complete mess. Whoever would try to clean that scene up would think that something strong like bleach is going to work. It doesn't because blood never goes away, but the common person would think that. So on May 21st, the day after Holly's funeral at St. Vincent de Paul Roman Catholic Church, with hundreds of mourners, including Premier Ernie Eves and Toronto Mayor Mel Lessman and the police chief Julian Fantillo, officers were sent out to get their samples and report back on anyone that had refused. And there were a few that refused, and they were put under surveillance, but one house in particular arose the suspicions of the two officers with a keen sense of observation. At a rented duplex just about 100 meters from Holly's house, a short, somewhat stocky man with a round face opened the door to them. The man let them in, and they were able to look around a bit, but he didn't want to give them a DNA sample. So that immediately put him on their radar. But that wasn't the only thing that they noticed about the man in his apartment within such close proximity to Holly's route home from her friend's house. 
the officers also noticed that his carpet was green, and he owned a set of weights. But the real alarming thing was the smell. According to Detective Ryan, they said it smelled like the cleanest place they had ever encountered. They could smell bleach from the outside of his house. So within an hour of the officers reporting back about the man and his bleach-smelling house, he was put under surveillance. I will be right back after these brief messages. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. 36-year-old Michael Breer was originally from Toronto and rented the duplex since 1997 when he was divorced from his wife, Vicky. Vicky had met Michael in the early 90s when they were both taking a comedy improv course at Toronto's Second City Comedy Club. They were married in 1993, and he was a mild-mannered, self-confessed computer geek who did some bodybuilding. He was working as a software designer for MDS Inc., which is a health and life sciences company. They settled in Toronto, where Vicky wanted to pursue an acting career and start a family. But shortly after they got married, Michael started to become obsessed with horror films and role-playing video games like Final Fantasy. So Vicky divorced him, and she told the Toronto Star, We had a communication breakdown. He got more and more into video games. I tried to avoid them. I mean, we'd play Super Mario together or whatever, but all these other games, he just got right into it. Police watched Michael night and day, waiting for something that they could use to test his DNA from. And then it happened. As he went about his life, oblivious to the police watching him, he drank a can of pop. And then, like the irresponsible to the earth guy that he is, he threw it in his trash in the outside bin and the police grabbed it. And there on the lip of that can was a match to the DNA under Holly's fingers. 
Thankfully, she had been a fighter. Detective Ryan described the moment the results came back, saying, The soda can was the key, literally the key. What happens in a DNA case, once we get the hit that gives police reasonable and probable grounds to believe he is the killer. Again, the needle in the haystack. It is just the most euphoric time, and I would say the saddest time as well. Now that you find somebody as crazy as it sounds, it is now real. This is not just an investigation where you were just chasing ghosts. You've got somebody now, this actually happened. This guy, we believe, actually killed her. So euphoria and heartbreak. So with the DNA results in hand, they got a search warrant to search Michael's duplex. Detective Ryan describes that moment that he entered Michael's rental. There was a mirror, a full-length mirror on Breer's front door or the wall, one or the other. When I saw that... My heart sank because I thought to myself, this is the last time that this child saw herself. Her own reflection was in that mirror as she was led in to be sexually assaulted and murdered. The terror on her face must have just been unbelievable. On June 20th, 2003, Michael Breer was arrested and charged with first-degree murder. And although he admitted to watching the police from his living room window, The third morning after Holly went missing, anxiously waiting for the garbage men to pick up his trash, which contained some of Holly's remains, hoping he would not get caught, he pretty readily confessed to what he had done in the afternoon of May 12, 2003. What he did do first is drink quite a bit of alcohol while watching child pornography, which he told the police was remarkably easy to get your hands on or your eyes, as the case may be, telling them the simplicity of getting material, it's close to mind-boggling. I have never understood how come the whole thing wasn't shut down just because of the nature of it. You search the word baby, and it will find stuff there. It's easy. You don't need a degree. I don't know how it is for other people, but for myself, I would say that yes, viewing the material does motivate you to do other things. The more I saw it, the more I long for it in my heart. I always had the fantasy of having sexual relations with a little girl. So I just got carried away and I walked outside and Holly was. I didn't know her. I'd never seen her before. If she wouldn't have been on the street corner, I probably would have just walked the street and just gone back home. But he did see her and he ran up to her, grabbed her by the neck, dragging her into his duplex. Holly didn't have a chance or the ability to scream and Detective Ryan says something very heartbreaking about that. I recall him saying to the officers that had she screamed, I would have let her go. Tell parents to tell their kids if they are abducted to scream because he would have let her go. Once inside, he undressed himself and Holly and sexually assaulted the 10-year-old innocent little girl telling police, I never actually completed the act and then strangled her. Michael says that he panicked. He put her little lifeless body into the fridge. He thought that she was dead, but heard booming noises and knocking from inside the fridge. It was Holly trying to get out. So he took her out and strangled her some more, and this time killing her, and realized he wasn't going to be able to get rid of her all at once. So he remembered his handsaw that he had in his toolbox and used it to dismember her. That night, he took one of the bags with Holly's torso and took a subway to Lake Ontario and dumped it. And the bag would have stayed there if the currents had cooperated with his plan. The next day, he took the subway again and dumped the second bag containing more of Holly's body. 
He had a moment of panic when some of her blood seeped onto the subway's car floor, but no one seemed to notice. On the third day after her murder, he stuffed more remains into garbage bins and put them on the curb outside his apartment for trash pickup, staying awake watching the police from his window all night until they were finally picked up. So, as is usual with child molesters and murderers, Michael was put into protective custody where he remained until his trial was to start. In May 2004, he waived his right to a preliminary trial. And in June 2004, he told Justice David Watt that he had decided to plead guilty to his crime and his sentencing hearing was set for June 17th, telling the judge, a man who commits this type of crime, you put him away. You put him away for good. The crime I am guilty of is simply the worst kind of crime a person can commit. What I did was absolutely wrong. It was done out of selfishness. It was an act of a coward. I accept the sentence which you are about to give me. No one has stood in front of you has been more deserving of such a sentence. I stand by my words when I told the police, a man who commits these crimes, you put away, you put away for good. I take no pride in what I have done. The truth is I am ashamed beyond belief. I regret everything. I am really sorry. I really wish I could undo everything. I have failed as a human being. Detective Ryan didn't buy his words of remorse, though, feeling he was only sorry that he got caught and not sorry for what he had done to Holly, her family, and the community. Justice Watt told Michael, when giving him his life sentence, your crime profoundly shocked this community and city, and it is a community that is no longer easily shocked by crimes of violence. A random abduction on a quiet city street, a sexual assault, a murder, dismemberment, a young active life like others full of promise snuffed out. There seems no bottom in the depravity pool nor any limits to the vulnerability of our children. Tim Danson was for the, working for the Crown, the prosecutor. He told reporters outside the courtroom that Holly's dad, George, had decided not to come to the sentencing hearing because he was unsure whether or not he would be able to control himself in the courtroom. And quite frankly, he was more than certain that when his eyes would fall upon the murderer of his daughter, he would not be able to control himself. Um, Tim also told the judge in the courtroom spectators, Mr. Breer, whatever else motivated him was spurred on by images of child pornography downloaded from the internet. If this isn't a case that brings home to society, to government, to legislators, and to those involved in the prosecution and resolution of child pornography cases, that this is a cancer in our society must be stopped and stamped out, then I can't think of one. He then read Maria Jones' victim impact statement that said in part, This cannot be the end. The truth is that Holly's spirit, her compassion, her gentleness, her sense of humor, and her love of life will never die. While some argue that child pornography is constitutionally protected free speech, Parliament must tighten up its child pornography legislation by giving full constitutional weight to children's equality and privacy rights by adopting zero tolerance for child pornography. Michael Beer will be eligible for parole in 2028. He is incarcerated at the Kingston Penitentiary in Ontario. There is a memorial set up for Holly near where she was abducted and murdered. Holly's mom, Maria, spoke to CBC about Holly and the memorial. Uh, I remember what Holly wore that day that she walked out the front door. I remember her words to me, and I remember... Um, what she looked like in her, in her face when she left. 
I remember her favorite outfits. I remember what she liked to eat. I remember everything about Holly, and I'm very happy about that because I do have a fear of forgetting. I don't want to forget. To start with Holly's tragedy, what she suffered. She was taken, strangled, she was raped, she was murdered. This is something that you can't, it, it's too difficult to, to grasp, to think about. I do know that you asked the question, how it impacted us. We, we basically just went crazy, all of us. But we did get back together because we knew there was at one point, I don't know when, within all these, in the last 10 years, that we really do need to be with each other. To grieve properly, to grieve so that it isn't as painful by being with each other as a family. We need each other. I feel really blessed for that. I really do feel blessed for, for um, having some pain relieved by having our, by being together as a family because I have heard of other tragedies where families have separated. And I really couldn't imagine dealing with this tragedy without my family. I need my family. And I believe they need us, me too. The community has helped me get through this actually in a great way, in a, a, a great deal because um, I don't know how to explain it, but uh, it helps me to know that others are out there caring for Holly. It's not just us loving Holly. I feel like I need to know that everybody loves Holly. I don't know what it is, but I, I just need that. And this is what the community gave me. They, they gave me that feeling of uh, caring and for Holly and loving her. Um, most important, I, I don't want Holly forgotten. I don't want her to be nothing. She, she's, she's very, very special to me, of course, because she's my daughter, but because she's gone, I want her to be special to everyone. You know, and my, I think of her as an angel, but I don't want her to be just my angel. I want her to be everybody's angel. That's how I feel. So, you know, when I go to the grocery store and somebody uh, approaches me once in a while and says, you're Holly's mother, I just want you to know I think about you. People are afraid to say that to me, but they don't realize that I walk away saying thank you. Thank you for thinking of my daughter. And um, people, come out from the community, drop off things for Holly, remembering May 12th, which is a tragedy, remembering her birthday, September 14th. All this helps me. Sometimes we don't have to speak to people or we don't have to have contact with somebody, but they, I get a car dropped off or something or a plant and, and it just makes me feel good to know that 
Holly is not being forgotten. I don't want Holly forgotten, ever. And that was the murder of little Holly Jones. Sickening as it was, I will be back again next week with another episode. As always, thank you so much for listening. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.